Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm here with the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. How you doing, Aaron? I am doing well, Steve, and uh, believe it or not, we actually have two guests this week. Our first one that will join us is going to be Brent Ayler, who is fresh off of two wins, uh, kind of the start of his season, to talk about fishing and answer a listener question. Then uh, a little bit later, Mark Jones will join us to kind of give us a big bass report from all those fish that uh, they seem to be catching down there in South Texas. Well, we're certainly excited about having both of those guys on the show. So let's get right to it. Get her like that one, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing. Oh, did you see that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. (laughs) Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? That's full contact fishing right there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Larry, it's that time of year, a little madness going around. Have you been watching any basketball at all? Yeah, speaking of madness, uh, you know, in basketball, I have to say that my brackets are already just, you know, a total mess. (laughs) Well, actually, me too. You know, I don't know what it is. I... I love to pick the upsets, and of course, you know, there are always plenty of surprises in the tournament, but uh, I just never seem to pick them. <laughs> Seems like every year, pretty on in the tournament, I put my brackets aside and say, man, I'm going fishing. Absolutely. You know, a person certainly needs to be on the water this time of year, and, you know, I know we've gotten some amazing reports of just you know, absolutely giant bass already being caught by our friends down in Texas. And, you know, of course, Steve, you're originally from Texas, and we were speaking the other day that you had said back when you had a real job, you used to uh, always take your vacation time around the full moon in March. You're you're kind of a moon guy. Yeah, I am a moon guy. I think it's, I think it's almost safe to say, Steve, that you're a lunatic. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, but actually you're not the first to say that. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I did. You know, I I would always take that, that full moon in March, you know, hoping to see those first fish uh, coming in to spawn. And, uh, of course, I think I think these days most anglers understand that, that the moon affects fishing, and especially during the spawn. Absolutely. You know, I'm always fascinated to hear, you know, there's a lot of uh, discussions, I think, out there um, and theories. But, you know, I always find it fascinating when, when it's brought up as far as the the bass coming into spawn and how that full moon kind of serves as not only a timing mechanism, but also just a chance for kind of the bass to overrun the predators, you know, with the production of, of the new young that's coming on. Well, that's so true. And, of course, I think, you know, this is one of those examples of where we, we don't quite understand everything we know about it. But uh, we do know that that uh, fish tend to spawn on the full moon. Of course, that throughout the period of, of when you've got the right water temperature, there will be some fish spawning. But, uh, you know, the greatest concentration of fish is around that full moon. And, and uh, you know, there's I've heard a number of, of uh, reasons for that. Uh, you know, one of them is that simply the light in the nighttime gives the bass a a better opportunity to see and guard their nest from predators. But, uh, you know, like what you were just mentioning, another very interesting theory is it's just a matter of timing, that uh, fish have evolved to... 
to spawn at the same time to sort of uh, overwhelm that suite of predators out there to where uh, you know there's there's too many young for them to eat and and it, and it increases the survival rate. So, uh, well, but uh, whatever it is, full moon in the spring, and I'm. I'm, I'm up there shallow looking for those fish on beds. Well, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing is, too, I think uh, my opinion, and, of course, you know, take it for what it's worth, and I'm sure you'll discard that in File 13 <laughs> along with everything else, I, I tell you. But, no, no, when it comes to the, the full moon, I think that second moon also plays a big factor because, you know, there again, you know, not every single bass in the lake is going to spawn on the exact same day. Well, that that's true, and you know, for one thing, there's, it, it's competitive. The good spawning areas uh, seem to be uh, seem to be somewhat competitive, and 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 I know that where I fish in the past, you would definitely get a spawning peak uh, on the full moon in March and the full moon in April, and, and I'm talking about in Texas, and that will of course vary around the country, and of course vary with the various species of. Uh, of bass, but I always picked March, and uh, and I guess I don't, I haven't seen a study to this effect, but it seems to be my experience and that that I've heard from a lot of others. But I believe the bigger fish spawn on the earlier moon. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, that's an interesting interesting uh, I, I think topic there, and and you know the 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 thing that also comes into play that I remember as we're sitting here talking about kind of the full moon and, and certainly spawning is you know just the protection of of that north wind, you know, being able to find those areas that. Uh, you know, don't have that direct north wind blowing on. Chances are the water's going to be warmer, and so those are going to be the areas you know to key in on on the first go around. Certainly. Well, they certainly are. But I'll tell you what: if you're a guy that fishes a lake year after year, you're going to find that they spawn in the same areas, uh, the same conditions. And I've even heard it said, and here again, I don't know that this is indeed the case, but I've heard it said that they have a sort of. Uh, uh, almost like salmon, they try to they try to go back into the into the area to spawn that they were born, and uh, uh, I don't know that that's the case. But I'll tell you what, one thing I do know is that fish, when you find a good spawning area, fish will be in there every year, whether it's the the effects of sun and wind or the bottom, which is I think very important, the uh, uh, the the sand or or, or dirt or uh, vegetation or whatever's on the bottom, but uh, uh, and I, you know that's why, <laughs> that's why I take that vacation too because I always know where to go fish. I've always found it a little easier to find fish. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of like deer hunting, you know. But <laughs> when you, when you compare, you know, if you think about it, when you compare bass to anything else, I mean, you know, a lot of the deer are the same way. They grow up, you know, kind of traveling the same uh, same paths and you know uh, highways through the woods. I guess to put it uh, uh, lightly, but you know that's one of the things that I like. Once you understand and kind of what's going on, if the bass aren't there yet, if they have yet to spawn, they're not going to be too far away. You know, you can go to that first, you know, piece of structure adjacent to deep water in the pre-spawn. And then also on the back side of it, and we'll be talking about some post-spawn things later on after the season, but, you know, they're going to work their, those uh, traffic ways right back out to where they came from. Well, that's so true. And, of course, you know, when you fish this time of year and you do have some fish moving up, the one thing you do have is you still have a lot of pre-spawners. And those fish are, those are some hungry fish. Those are fish that are stocking up, uh, getting ready to come in. And, uh, 
you know, it's just they tend to be a pretty active fish, you know, especially when, you know, when when, our, when we get days when our water warms. So, uh, my goodness, oh, just a good, just a great time of year to fish, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting cabin fever, Aaron. Absolutely. I'm ready. I'm ready to. I'm ready to go look at a few. Uh, you know that I can see besides looking on my electronics. I'm gonna put on the old polarized glasses and go to work. Well, anyway, we uh, we've got a pretty cool interview coming up, and uh, uh, I know you enjoyed it. So let's uh, let's slip away for a few for a few minutes, and we'll be right back. Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Electronics 101. Harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Welcome back as today's guest has wasted no time in hedging the current economic times by winning the first two events he's fished this year. Representing the west side from Redlands, California is Brent Ayler. Welcome aboard, Brent. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, well, it's my pleasure. You know, your adrenaline has to still be pumping as a result of kind of the start of uh, this year's season. Yeah, you know, it, it definitely has. Uh, it definitely still is you know i'm just starting to kind of wear off of it here I, i've been home for a couple of days and man i've just been relaxing and hanging out with friends and family and uh i i actually have to leave tomorrow to head out to lake norman so i'm kind of on the the downturn right now but i gotta get pumped up here again real quick because i'm heading out you know real early tomorrow morning to get out there and, and start fishing again so uh you know anxious to get back out there and hopefully you know, keep the streak alive well, absolutely. You know, in all honesty, though, you're you're somewhat used to fast starts uh, because isn't your competitive background in, I believe, in snow skiing, right? Yeah, yeah. I uh, it, it was kind of funny for for a long time. I, I actually, you know, wanted to try and make a living uh, out of snow skiing. You know, instead of fishing. You know, fishing was just kind of something I had fun doing. But I really thought that I was going to try and do something in skiing. And then uh, I kind of just slowly worked my way over, started getting out of skiing. I still ski all the time, but it's you know I'm not looking at it to, you know as a career choice or anything. So you know I went to fishing. I guess maybe I wasn't good enough to to make it skiing, so I had to go fishing or something. I don't know. Yeah, you uh, you, you don't seem like the Bodie Miller type, I guess. But uh, at least <laughs> at least you still get to have fun in it. But you know, and with that being said, how in the world did you? Those two just don't seem like kind of a, a complement to one another. How did you get from skiing to bass fishing? <laughs> they are kind of on the, the opposite ends of the spectrum there. Um, you know, it's, it's it's really the opportunities that my parents have given me is really how, you know, what it comes down to. Um, my parents love skiing, so I skied all the time with them. Uh, you know, went on a lot of trips with them, family trips, and you know, was able to ski a lot. And that was just, you know, growing up and, and uh you know, skiing like that, I mean, I didn't ski every day, but, you know, I had a lot of opportunities to go, and that was just, that was my drive. That's what I wanted to do, and I always fished. You know, it was one of those things where it didn't matter what time of year it was, I fished. You know, skiing is kind of a, you know, obviously a a seasonal thing. You know, you can only go in the wintertime, and 
uh, you know, fishing as far as going from, from skiing to fishing, is just something that I slowly got out of the skiing thing. Uh, started to kind of, you know, get on with my life as far as, you know, going through college and, you know, looking at what I was going to actually do. And the fishing thing just stuck with me. And, and again, it wasn't something that I grew up saying, you know, hey, I'm going to make a living out of fishing. I mean, it was, you know, I'm going to make a living and I'm going to fish on the side. And I kind of stumbled into making a living out of fishing. So, you know, it was kind of one of those things that I didn't force anything. I just let things happen, and I kind of just stumbled into the fishing scene. Well, are there any parallels between the slopes and, you know, being on the water chasing a bass? Um, you know, there, there's sometimes where I see some parallels. You know, first thing in the morning, and you're running up the lake. You know, I'm in my ranger running as fast as I can up the lake, and I'm, you know, looking at these inside lines and these creek, you know, the river channel bends and passing people, and, man, it gets your blood pumping when you're running 70 miles up the <laughs> lake trying to get to your first spot. You know, that part, yeah, um, uh, you know, that part is, is definitely, uh, you know, similar. Um, but, again, anything comes down to uh, drive and work ethic. You know, if you work at something, you know, whether it's, you know, it could be any kind of racing, motorcycle racing or, or, you know, skiing or something. You know, you have a task that you need to accomplish, and you have to do everything you can to accomplish that, you know, and, and just prepare and, and get ready for that. If you just show up and you don't do anything, you don't care, you're not going to do it. And, and it can be related to anything, whether it's a presentation at work, anything. If you're not prepared, you're not going to, you know, do well in what it is you're trying to get done. So, you know, strong work ethic and, as, you know, being prepared, doing everything you possibly can to make something happen, you're going to do better and you're going to, you know, you're actually going to make that happen. So, you know, whether it's skiing, whether it's fishing, you know, for me right now, it's fishing, getting up, practicing really hard, doing everything you can to make yourself ready to do well in that tournament. And then, you know, if you can do that and you go out there and, and spend the time then you know, you give your honest and best effort. Well, that's that's good stuff right there. And, you know, while we're on the topic of, of cold-weather sports, um, you know, you've kind of had your fair share of that <laughs> at the beginning of the season here. Are, are the yeah. weather patterns, you know, in your opinion, altering the behavior of bass this year? Um, I think just a little bit. I, I think uh, it's kind of looked like the fish are just slightly behind what they normally are. You know, we've had a lot of cold weather. Um you know, this year, it just seems like they're just slightly behind what they normally are. And behind me in that, you know, uh, at Lake Norman, or sorry, Lake, uh, I'm thinking Lake Norman, that's our next one here. <laughs> um, at Table Rock, the fish were just slightly behind, you know, meaning that, you know, we really thought that they would have been on the banks or up, you know, shallower uh, when we were there, you know, these two weeks ago. But there's just been so much cold weather going through there that the fish are just still in that wintertime pattern. So, they're just slightly behind, but actually I think that they're going to get back into the regular swing faster. What, I, what I'm guessing, and I don't really know this for sure, but my guess is that the fish are kind of, you know, staying. They're just waiting right now. They know it's time, but they're waiting because it's still cold. So my guess is that when it comes down to the water actually warming up and for those fish to migrate up shallow and get in the shallow water and start to spawn, I think there's going to be a bigger wave of fish that pull up. So I think we're going to see a lot better fishing. Uh, here in the spring, meaning that just I think all these fish are waiting, waiting, waiting. When it happens, I think they're all going to snap. They're all going to run up on the bank and start feeding. That's my guess. And, and I'm hoping, I'm saying that, you know, I'm trying to be optimistic going into Lake Norman here. I'm thinking the fish is going to be really good. So, um, you know, I hope that's the way it's going to be, but I think they're going to get back onto their normal pattern here pretty quick. 
kind of related to uh, like missing the best days in the stock market. You know, you're you're not going to get the return uh, if you don't if you're not out on the water uh, when that happens. You're going to miss a lot of action. Sounds to me like. Exactly. I think it's going to happen strong and fast. Is my guess. You know, I think they're really just they're just waiting right now, and we're starting to get good weather across the country. They're going to start snapping here pretty quick. And, you know, the topic of momentum, or as some like to say, you know, being in the zone, it's it's really something that's applicable to most things in life. How do you, or how does that apply to us as anglers, you know, while we're on the water? Um, it, it's very relevant. I mean, you know, it definitely applies to us, meaning that uh, when you're out there and you're fishing and, and you think you're doing something wrong or you get some sort of instinct and you think you want to try something, if you're doubting yourself, you're not going to try that, you know, and, and you got, you have to have confidence in, in yourself and your decision-making to go, you know, I really think they're doing this. I'm going to go and try this. And you go and do it. If if you're down and out and you're not really, you know, paying attention to, to what's going on, you're going to sit there and go, oh, I really think I need to do this. And then you start telling your mind, you know, thinking to yourself, well, no, I've been doing bad. My decision-making is poor right now. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. So you don't, trust yourself and that's one thing is making the right decisions and trusting your gut instincts and, and going with it and if if you're you know uh, coming off a couple of good tournaments you're going to trust what you're thinking and you're going to go well i think i need to do this you're going to want to do it instantly you know and you, you know you're going to listen to yourself and it, and it just comes down to you know having confidence and getting on one of the streaks like that so uh it, it really is all about decision making and, and making the right decisions will will you know give you those better tournaments making the wrong decisions will put you down and, and you'll just you know quit trusting yourself well and i think you did more than just uh give that lip service of, of that comment that you just made right there because most of us uh, agree that you you really put on a clinic at the table rock event and you, you did so by abandoning you know the belief of what the bass should be doing um and, mm-hmm. and really targeted kind of the inside of the channel swings versus you know the channel swings themselves where everybody was running to and fishing a certain stretch how did you arrive at that decision you know with only two days of of, of being on the water you know, it was just one of those things that uh, I, I tend to try and eliminate stuff in practice, so that makes sense. I don't try and find, I mean, obviously we are trying to find a spot like what I did or, you know, try and figure something out instantly on what you're going to do, but I constantly want to figure, you know, go, this doesn't work. I know I don't need to spend time doing that. That's what I'm really trying to do when I'm out there in practice. So, you know, I'm just, I was just fishing. I mean, I was you know, the first stop would be a, a main lake bluff wall. The second stop would be in the back of the creek. The third stop would be, you know, back on the main lake. The fourth stop would be, you know, anything that looked, you know, good going by. I saw a deep channel swing with docks on I went and looked over there. You know, so I was looking at anything and everything to just try and come to something that I felt would work. And it was just one of those things where I was running into a creek. I was actually ran into a creek to look for, I wanted to go fish to the back. I wanted to go throw a crankbait up in the shallow water in the back. It was in the afternoon. The water temperature was warming up in the afternoons. I figured that would be the time to go and, you know, fish a crankbait in the back of some of these creeks. Well, I ran in, I fished around. It was late in the day and I was coming back out and I ran right over the top of this underwater point that was the inside turn of a creek channel. And I just looked at my Lorance and I saw that it hopped up real fast and had a good you know, depth change on it, and I spun the boat around and started casting. You know, it was just one of those things that, I, you know, you just kind of have to eliminate everything, and that was just one of those things that it looks good, 
you know, I constantly look at my electronics. I constantly watch and see what the, you know, the bottom contour is doing. And I saw that it hopped up real fast. I could see on my GPS, uh, you know, mapping that it was the actual, you know, an actual creek channel turn. And so I figured that's just a good spot those fish are going to pull up on. So I spun the boat around, dropped the troll motor, started casting, and, you know, started catching fish. Yeah, and continue to catch fish and catch fish and catch fish. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, you know, and, and what amazes me is that, you know, you really separated yourself because of, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think the the general consensus was that most people were fishing kind of the outer edges instead of fishing those inside lines. You know, they were more up against the bluff walls and kind of uh, concentrated on some of that timber. Yeah, and, and it seemed that way. And and the, the funny thing is I was kind of beating myself up a little bit because I go, man, I haven't really devoted a lot of time to these bluff walls. And, you know, the steeper the outside turns like that. And I kind of started to, you know, doubt myself because I go, man, you know, I haven't been doing this. Everywhere I look, if I'm running down the lake and there's a bluff wall, there's a guy fishing on it. And I kind of started going, man. Maybe I'm doing the wrong thing here, you know. You kind of start to see a pattern of where everybody's at in practice, you know. You start to see everybody fishing a certain way, and you go, that's how fish are being caught. You know, you could definitely, wherever you are, whether it's, you know, if you go to Kentucky Lake, you're going to see everybody, you know, out there on the main lake in June fishing the ledges, you know. And and we go here to, to Table Rock, and you start to see everybody on the bluff walls, and you go, well, that's where everybody's catching them at right now, you know. Uh I was kind of beating myself up because I hadn't really devoted a lot of time to it. And, you know, I did a little bit and I never had any bites. So I was kind of thinking that I was doing something wrong. So, um, but, you know, that's, I guess, what separated me from everybody else was that I found, you know, something different that someone else wasn't doing. And, you know, a lot of those guys were fishing, you know, the the deeper or, or the, you know, the actual outside swings like that. And I think the other thing that was that I did differently is that a lot of these guys were fishing on the bottom. And if you look at myself and Sheffield, uh, I was first and Sheffield was second, and both of us were catching those suspended fish. I think those were the better fish, the better quality ones to catch at that time. And we were catching the suspended fish out in those trees, and we both, you know, had, you know, we were first and second while the other guys were fishing on the bottom. So I think we both kind of separated ourselves from everybody else by doing something a little bit different. Well, and I think, you know, regardless if you're fishing in a tournament or because there's weekends out there, you know, to where especially coming in now into the spring, you know, where the lakes and the rivers and everything is going to be just flooded with boat traffic, you know, Uh you're out there for the day and you're kind of thinking, well, everybody else is doing this. Am I doing something wrong? Kind of that that situation that you just explained. But, you know, there is a saying out there that the grass is always greener over the septic tank, too. (laughs) That's true. That's very true. I haven't heard that one, but, man, I, I think that's perfect. <laughs> well, you know, one of the other, I think, important factors um, that all of us can benefit from was the modification that you made to your bait uh, with, and, and I'm talking in particular about the grubs that you were using by using a moist mm-hmm. paper towel. What was the purpose and, and what, what was going on with that? Gotcha. You know, that is something that I cannot take credit for. That is... Uh, you know, not something that I just came up with and, and did on my own. Now that now that I was told by two different people. One was Scott Suggs, who's uh you know, a lot everybody knows who Scott Suggs is. He won the Forestwood Cup two years ago, won a million dollars. Um he's a great fisherman, he fishes on the FLW tour, he's a Folders pro. Um he told me as well as Keith Daffron. Keith Daffron is the vice president for Ranger Boats. And 
you know, separately, they both said, hey, you got to, you know, try swimming a grub out there. And, you know, the trick is you got to take that smoke-colored grub and, and you soak it overnight in water and it turns kind of a, you know, more of a whitish, milky color. And so I just, you know, okay, <laughs> you know, the first time I tried it, why not? You know, and so I, I did that and it changes the color. It takes that smoke-colored grub and it actually just changes the hue to it. It just turned not milky, but it just changes it to a little bit different color. And I went with it, and the fish bit it, so I just stayed with it, you know. And, again, I cannot take credit for it. It was those two guys that told me that, you know, that's what I needed to do. So um, I did it, and, and it worked, you know. And, and uh, that was was definitely a trick that seemed like I got more bites was doing that. Well, absolutely. And sometimes, you know, it's those little changes, you know, that that ultimately that make a big difference. And, you know, speaking of those, I, I know when it comes to line, you know, you're preferences combining that braid with a fluorocarbon leader but you're also very picky you know as far as kind of the properties that make up the braid and you know it's limberness and and what is the reason for that you know for me it's 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 the castability of it and you know a, a real soft braid is going to cast now this is this is for uh, a spinning you know spinning outfit for spinning reel um sure. to me a softer braid is going to cast better um a braid that has a waxy coating on it is not going to jump off that reel as good as a real soft braid will. So, uh, for me, I like that softer braid. It casts better. I think the knots hold up better. I think you can cinch the knots down better if it's softer. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's easier to manage. And, and that is the whole key with, with that braid is, you know, having it easy to use. It casts better. It doesn't show any memory, meaning that line twist or anything it won't show any of that. So, the softer the braid, the better for for a spinning outfit. And you know, I really like the advantages of that long cast. I also like the advantages of the of you know, the really low stretch. Now, um, it's happened to everybody. I know it's happened to you know all the listeners out there. You make a real long cast, and bait sinking or something happens. Fish bites it on the sink. Well. Your line is running all the way across the top of the surface on a long cast, and then it's dropping to the bait, or, you know, to where your bait actually is. Where's well, that little bit of bow in your line? Well, a fish bites it, and you lift up. You have all that line across the surface, and where it drops, you have that little bit of a bow. Well, you set the hook, and if you have straight monofilament or even fluorocarbon, which is a very low stretch line, you still have a lot of stretch because you have 30, 40, 50 feet of line out there or more. And so there's going to be a lot of stretch based on, you know, the length of your line. You set the hook, the fish immediately jumps all the way out there, and it comes off. Well, that's because when you set the hook, all you did was straighten that line. You straightened out that bow. You had a little bit of direct contact with that fish, but not enough because you have that stretch in the line. So you did not get that hook into that fish's mouth. So he jumps and he comes off. With braid, you have a direct contact with that fish. You're going to have zero stretch. So you make that long cast all the way out there, fish bites, you set the hook, and you, you hook them every time. And to me, that's just a big deal. I love the feel of it. I like, you know, the aspect of not having any stretch. I just feel like you get a much better hookup ratio with, you know, with the fish that actually bite. And is there a kind of a test, or how do we as anglers know when we're, you know, pulling a box of braid off the shelf, you know, of one that has more of a coating versus one that doesn't? Gotcha. My my whole whole you know trick with that is just you know try and pull off a little piece of line, and, and just look at it. You just look at the, at the at the braid and and take it and fold it in half, 
And when you fold it in half, you're going to want to pinch that edge. So if you can imagine, you almost make a loop, and you're going to pinch it and try and crease that line. And if you let go of that pinch where you try and, you know, you fold it in half and you pinch that edge right there, if you let go and there's any kind of waxy coating on there, it's going to show that crease in that line. You're actually going to put a crease in that fishing line, and it's going to stay there. With a real soft line, when you fold it in half and pinch it like that and you let go, you won't see a crease. You won't see anything where you just fold that in half, you know, to make that crease. And to me, that is the line you want because that's the softest line there is, and that's going to show you that there's no waxy coating or any kind of coating on that line. So that's a good thing, you know, indication of something to try. When you don't know what kind of braid to buy, do that. And if you, you know, see that there's no waxy coating on there, that's definitely the one to use on a spinning rod. And something that you mentioned earlier, a little bit earlier in, in the interview, um, was concerning electronics. And, you know, on Bass Edge, we've devoted, obviously, a lot of energy to understanding marine electronics with um, kind of the introduction of our Electronics 101 DVD. Is is that something, you know, that you, the, the electronics, see as a, a tremendous asset to you as an angler? Oh, no question. Um, you know, I look back on when I first started fishing, the first bass boat I had, I uh, I did not have a GPS, and so everything was, you know, based on memory. Now, if I'm going out there and just fun fishing or, uh, you know, fishing, getting ready for a tournament, um, you know, we didn't have, I didn't have a GPS. So if I found areas that I liked and I wanted to go back to the next day, it was all based on memory, and I, and I wouldn't, you know, a lot of times you wouldn't know exactly where the best area was or maybe even, you know, forget, you know, if you spend a couple of days out there and you, let's say you're just out on a fun, you know, fishing trip and you're going to go fish for four or five days or even three days. Well, on that last day of fishing, you go, Oh man, you know, we caught a couple of fish over there on that first day. We should go back there. I and be able to find it again. And so that right there, you know, it's just a testament to having GPS and, you know, by having a GPS and, you know, being able to go back to these spots that you found before, really helps. Now, that's just a small part of it. Now, the electronics are actually seeing what's down there on the actual sonar part are so good that you can see things better and you can go back. Or, you know, for instance, what I did here at Table Rock, I saw my, you know, graph jump up. I saw that there was a good steep underwater point there. I spun the boat around and I fished it. Now, had I not had good electronics, I would not have found that spot. So, it's definitely a key to just having a better day on the water, regardless if it's just fun fishing or, you know, in a tournament situation. Absolutely. And, you know, as we are quickly kind of approaching April, as anglers, what what areas of the lake, you know, should we be concentrating on to kind of find those high percentage, large concentrations of bass? You know, I think that, uh, you know, coming into uh, April, I, I think that the fish are, are going to start moving up. You know, I, I just, I think that they have to be in that transition from, you know, winter to spring, you know, they're, they're pre-spawn right now, to spawn depending on where they're at here in Southern California where I live, the fish are already spawning a little bit. Um, so basically, if I'm going to go you know, anywhere in the country, I'm going to look for creeks and coves, meaning that those fish are going to be out in the main lake in the wintertime. They're going to start pulling in. They're going to start running the banks and the, and the creeks and coves and looking for areas where they want to spawn. So they're going to be pulling up on secondary points or they're going to be in the backs of the little bays. You know, I would look shallow and I would look in, you know, creeks and coves, pockets, that kind of thing, get off that main lake. I think, you know, the fish want to get back there. It's just a matter of time before they're there. And, you know, we're almost in April here. I think those fish are going to be there. What about as far as bait selection? 
Um, typically, I'll, I'll run, uh, you know, especially if I don't know the water, I will, you know, concentrate a lot of time on, on reaction baits. Uh, you know, shallow running crankbait. There's a couple that I really like. LuckyCraft makes a, a bait called the BDS-3. Uh, they also have a new one called SKTMR. They're both shallow running baits. Um, I will cover a lot of water with those baits just looking shallow. And then I will have a jig or a worm, shaky head, something like that, ready to wear. If I'm running the banks, and let's say I just see a good little corner, I mean, it could be anything from a boat dock or maybe a brush pile or maybe a little rock pile, you know, while I'm running the banks for the crankbait. If I see something I like that I want to slow down on, then I'll pick up that worm or jig and fish it kind of slow. But, again, I'm going to concentrate on probably that two to ten foot depth just you know i want to be shallow and i gotta want to run the bank and look for you know staging spots where those fish are pulling in and then you know you kind of bring up the difference between the shaky head the jig and then also the crankbaits do you have kind of a standard rule of thumb uh for using a bait that mimics a bait fish and then kind of abandoning that and going to more of the crawfish replication you know um typically in the spring a, a, a crawdad you know crankbait is very good but to me there's very few places that I throw a crawdad color, I meaning you know, a reddish color or brown. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why this is, but uh, it seems like I go with the crawdad colors if there's a lot of grass in the lake. And I don't know why that is in the spring, but if there's a lot of grass, I'll go with that red color. Uh, Luckycraft makes a, a color called uh, spring craw. And it's a, it's a reddish, you know, bait. It's a black back with red on it and then an orange belly. Now, if there's no grass, for me, I just typically go with a shad color. Um, I just I have more success, I think, on a shad color bait uh, than I do, you know, anything else. So, it, as a general rule, I'm going to go with just a good shad imitation unless there's a lot of grass in the lake and unless the lake is famous for a red color. Every lake has its, you know, famous colors wherever you go. You know, try and find out. You can, you can look it up online. You know, you can usually find out by just doing a little bit, little bit of research on what colors are the most popular. So if it's a lake, for instance, if you go to Lake Gunnersville right now in Alabama, you know, that's a big red-colored lake, especially, you know, early in the season like this. They like a red-colored lipless crankbait. So, for instance, if I was going there, I, was, I would throw a red, you know, spring craw LV500. Whereas if I go to another lake that doesn't have any grass, I might be throwing that shallower square bow like I talked about before, the BDS-3 or the SKT, and I'm going to throw that in a shad color. So it just kind of varies from lake to lake. But as a general rule, grass, I'll go to the crawdad. No grass, I'll go to the shad color. Well, good stuff. And then a final question before we get out of here actually comes from a, a listener this week, and it's from Sean, and I'm going to butcher this, probably this city. It's either Lakewood or Lakewood, Colorado. And what Sean wants to know, Brent, is he states, I always see the big dogs fishing for spring bass in the early months of March and April back east or in the south. But how would a guy get in some of that action in the cold waters of Colorado during those months? What pattern should he go with, and how slow should he be presenting it? You know, typically, just based on, on Colorado, I, I'd have to guess that they're going to be behind, uh, you know, anything else in the south. So, I mean, you know, if they see somebody, you know, if he sees somebody out there fishing shallow and he's fishing for big bass, you know, whether it's with a crankbait or a jig, you know, they're going to be behind the times. So, basically, Colorado right now is probably going to be still in that wintertime pattern, meaning that the fish are going to be deep and kind of more main the lake. So, I would slow down. I would fish 
you know, some sort of offshore structure, whether it's humps out in the middle of the lake or long points out in, you know, main lake points, and, you know, a drop shot, a jig, a shaky head, fish fairly, you know, slow out in that deeper water will probably be the better thing to do right now. You know, in another month, another couple of weeks, that's when those fish are going to start to pull up. You know, Colorado's going to be just a little bit farther behind everyone else in the seasonal pattern. So my guess is they're going to be in that more wintertime pattern. So slow, methodical fishing structure, that's going to be the deal for, you know, for catching bigger fish right now. Well, certainly it makes sense to me, Brent, and uh, Sean, hopefully that will bring you some success in the upcoming weeks there in Colorado. Unfortunately, Brent, we are out of time, but uh, just want to tell you thanks so much for spending it with us and want to wish you the best of luck in the rest of your season. Thanks, Aaron. I actually appreciate you guys having me on. I really do, and uh, by all means, if, uh, if you ever need me back on, I'd love to do it. Absolutely. You can, you can put that in your calendar. We'll talk soon. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. Hi, this is Gary Dobbins, and you're fishing with Bass Edge. Man, Aaron, I mean, how strong can you start a season winning the first two events? <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he started out the year out at uh, Shasta, Lake Shasta, um, there on the west side, and I, th- I want to say that was, you know, fifty or 75000 Then he moved on to the FLW tournament at Table Rock and pocketed 125000 there. So, uh, you know, Brent's, Brent's feeling pretty good about right now. <laughs> yeah, he put the Shasta to his, to his opponents out there in Boy, California. Boy, that, that is for sure. <laughs> I, I told him during the interview, you heard me say, I said, man, you put on a clinic, and the, it was uh, it was pretty neat to, to watch him. Well, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed listening to him. You know, I I was pretty struck by his comments about letting his letting his grub soak because uh, it, it kind of took me back. You know, when I was a kid, I was just terrible at just in a hurry. You know, throw a worm in my in, in my box and it end up in in a, another color, and then you know I'd eventually end up with these weird hybrid colors, and then I'd end up pulling one of those worms out and catching a fish on it, and then I'd be back home trying to mix and match these worms again to try to recreate <laughs> these colors. And actually, for years, I had one that I had pretty good success with that I would I would sort of mix beforehand. So uh, uh, that's uh, uh, that's that, that's uh, he was being creative. I was being just kind of sloppy (laughs) (laughs) i don't know about that but whatever works but you know the interesting thing i i I too agree with you you know soaking those grubs like that but when you get in that clear water i mean you know just the little subtleties and and we spoke a little bit about that during the interview it's the small changes you know that make a big difference and a lot of times we think that you know we've got to up and move to a different spot or change the bait that we have tied on you know on the end of our line and really what it comes down to is just sometimes you know, little things such as that, that uh, will make just a tremendous difference. And certainly, you know, 
Brent was the benefactor of, of that small change. Well, that that's so true. And, you know, you just kind of reiterate what we've said time and again, you know, like uh, pay attention to what's going on and adapt and be adaptable. And, uh, uh, and you just, you know, you discover things as you go along, like me and this crazy colored worm that I, that I uh, used for years. Uh, so, uh, you know, you know, be adaptable. But Aaron, I tell you what, man, we got a we got a good question this week, and uh, I think you're just the man to, to answer this. And uh, this is from Adam, and Adam says, "Aaron, you are the man." <laughs> I think you wrote that in. Obviously, we all we all know that. <laughs> but uh, Adam says, "I travel for my job in sales, and your podcasts get me through a lot of miles. They also keep my mind on fishing all day long." Your podcast and encouragement from friends have given me the confidence to begin tournament fishing. I live in Louisville, Kentucky, and have been fishing my whole life. Now, Adam tells us what his uh, what real rods and real combinations he uses. He has a spinning reel on a medium action rod. He has a bait caster on a heavy action rod, and he has a bait caster on a medium action rod. And he asks. I am preparing to purchase another combo. What do you recommend will help complete my arsenal? And also, he asked, what type, type of lines does do we recommend for using the gear that he's got? Well, I think, uh, Adam, you know, congratulations on uh, on your confidence. And, um, you know, just, just keep it up. Always go out there and, and continue to learn. And I think your confidence will continue to, to increase along with that. You know, pertaining specifically to your question, the um, first thing I would consider is obviously going to be your budget. You know, we all know that uh, there's certainly a wide range of, of price points that's out there on the rod and reel market. But I would look closely as far as the style of fishing that you do most of. Um, and that's probably where I would duplicate or pick up the additional combo. You know, when you look at throwing moving baits such as crank baits and spinner baits, you know, top water, things like that, that rod action is going to be a little bit different per se if you're flipping heavy matted vegetation. Um, you, you know, not knowing kind of the style that you fish, I always find that a medium heavy action, uh, I prefer a, a longer rod, you know, at least a seven footer. Um, because let's say if you're down there on Kentucky Lake and, you know, you're throwing a football jig out on the, the channel swings and, and channel drop-offs, you know, you want to be able to uh, recover that slack line very, very quickly uh, when you set the hook in that deeper water, and that longer rod is going to help do that. Plus, it's going to help you with making longer cast, which we all know there. So that's going to be my first recommendation is look at what style that you're doing most of and then uh, probably go after and match that up. Again, medium heavy rod. Now, as far as on the reels, uh, here, you know, there's a lot of talk about ball bearings and how many they have and, and all of those different things. I firmly believe, you know, if you get beyond kind of the eight ball bearings, um, you know, chances are the other two are going to be located in the handle or something like that. There's only so many ball bearings that you can actually cram into a reel, but they do make a difference, especially when you are cranking or, or using a moving uh, bait, because you want to make sure that there's no grinding or anything that is 
transferring off your reel into your hand so that you can feel if a fish, you know, comes up and swipes at it or if you're bumping, you know, into cover, things like that. So a good smooth reel, I think, is extremely important. Um, so that's going to be my advice. Now, as far as the line, you know, you've heard me say, and you just heard Brent during the interview, you know, talk about in a spinning combination. I mean, he goes to exclusively a braided line, then with a fluorocarbon leader. Uh, certainly, heed that advice. Uh, if you're fishing topwater, you know, I'm going to recommend either a braid, if uh, a braided line, you know, around vegetation stuff like that, or even a monofilament because the monofilament is actually going to uh, float. Plus, it has a little bit of stretch to it, um, so that's going to help you, you know, when you get around logs and cover like that, uh, creating the abrasion resistance uh, that's going to be a little bit better, per se, than the fluorocarbon. The other downside of the fluorocarbon, like we've talked about, is that it actually sinks, so it's not a real good choice for topwater situations. Well, <clears throat> there you go, Adam. Now, that is, you, you listen to the man, because... Uh... You never seen anybody that had more different rod and reels than this guy right here. I'm telling you, it's it's uh, it can be confusing. I don't even he didn't even let me bring my stuff because there's no room for it when we oh, go. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. But, but let me ask you something, Aaron. You know, I know that uh, uh, you know reels are so much to consider these days, and of course uh, the gear ratios have gotten up there. But do you? Do you purposely have different gear ratio reels that you keep in your boat? The only gear ratio difference that I make, and again, this is, you know, Rick Clun, and, and there's different ones that kind of adopt different philosophies. But, you know, I'm not a big fan of having to to think about, um, you know, what gear, what ratio do I have on my reel, those type of things, with the exception of swim baits. You know, now I have a, a, a just a big giant, I call it my winch, you know, that uh, it's a big Abu Garcia, you know, 5300C that holds a lot of line for throwing those big giant swim baits. Um, that is for a couple different reasons. One is the line comes off a lot easier and it prevents backlashes, you know, when you're throwing a big four ounce bait. But also because you're a lot of times when I'm throwing those, you have to reel those so slow. Now on, you, you know, your modern day, just crank baits, spinner baits, buzz baits, jigs, all those bait classes that most of us are used to, I prefer actually consciously controlling, you know, the, the reeling speed, um, just because I've, that's, that's how I grew up. But the, I know a lot of guys, you know, prefer, you know, they'll drop down from a seven, three to one or six, three to one down to a, you know, a five, three to one or something like that. Uh, so that they can make sure that they're not going to be over cranking and then they're, they're not having to make that mental decision. So I think a lot of it, Steve, comes down to your preference and just what you're used to. Well, that is great advice from uh, the owner of, I think, every kind of rod and reel. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Aaron, you know, we talked a little earlier about a lot of big fish being caught in Texas last last week. And I'll tell you what, this next guy is going to tell us some pretty good fish stories. So uh, uh, let's take a quick break and come back and talk to Mark Jones. When people ask me why I have so much tackle, I don't bother trying to explain. They never get it. It's the kind of thing that's all about being there. It's the feeling that I'm alive right now when I hook the next bass. Lose touch with that, and I lose part of myself. Yeah, it's hard to explain, but all of us at Bass Edge want you to know that it's okay. The go-to tackle storage system will never ask for an explanation. 
Who needs one when I have fast, easy access to my lures? It keeps my baits organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in just minutes under any deck lid, making the most of the storage space of my boat. One look at the GoTo Tackle system, and you know it has no time for silly questions. Load me up, it says. Let's get out there and make some memories. Get organized with the Bass Edge GoTo Tackle system by logging on to BassEdge.com. As mentioned, joining us for this month's Big Bass Report is the founding father of the Oakley Big Bass Tour that has now taken their grassroots open entry tournament with an hourly payback national, and that is Mr. Mark Jones. Welcome back, Mark. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's great to be here, you know, and one question I do have to ask, are your arms more fatigued from handling all of those big bass or from signing the checks that totaled over $140,000 that was paid out at this past tournament on Lake Conroe? Oh man, probably uh, probably a little bit of both. It was uh, it was an unbelievable event. We had a record number of fish and uh, record weights uh, weighed in. The the overall bass that won the tournament was the second largest in the tournament history. So uh, it was something else. Well, and certainly by looking at that tally sheet, you know it's it's definitely that time of year where the big ones are on the move, and uh, certainly a great time to be out on the water. But before we kind of dive off into, you know, the specifics of what's going on, perhaps you know, give those of us that's not familiar with your style of tournaments a, a brief ex- explanation of how it works. Absolutely, uh, this format obviously is a big bass format, so we have hourly weigh-ins throughout the days on Saturday and Sunday, and so those anglers bring their big fish in each hour if they have them. Uh, those fish are then logged into to the hourly totals, and then those big fish obviously carry over to our top 10 overall, and then the biggest fish of the tournament, of course, wins the uh, grand prize, the 2010 Nitro Z8. Uh, it's an absolutely gorgeous boat, and uh, so the format is is an exciting format, Aaron, as we've talked about in the past. It really gives everybody an opportunity to participate. Uh, if you're a competitive stringer, angler, you can still uh, be challenged at these events, but if you've not you know, been used to a tournament format before, it's not too daunting for the guys that uh, this may be their first opportunity. Yeah, and that's one of the things, you know, that I kind of look at it, thinking back in my earlier days, you know, of, of fishing with my dad is, you know, really le- leveling the playing field and removing kind of a lot of that intimidation that perhaps, uh, you know, just the, the weekend angler that likes to go out and have a good time, you know, anybody can get out there and catch a big bass. Absolutely. You know, as we like to say, it's kind of an any given cast uh, opportunity. And uh, certainly that was the case on Conroe this past weekend. Uh, you know, as, as you and I were looking at, we had a top 10, uh, the, the winning fish, obviously, at 12 6 3. It took a 9 6 3 to get into the top 10. And, you know, there were 11s and 10s across the board. It was, it was absolutely amazing. Well, would you classify that as kind of the highlight of the, of the tournament there at Conroe this year? Well, uh, you know, we, we had um, a lot of exciting things happen. Obviously, the fishing was incredible. Um, you know, there were, uh, we had the rolling OLAB in. We had a number of vendors uh, in Lock and Hall, Lake Fork Trophy Lures, and we set up a, uh, just an incredible venue there at uh, Papa's on the Lake. We had a record number of, of spectators who came out to, to watch the event. So, uh, you know, that was really, really cool. But I think the highlight for us was, um, David Bozart, the guy that won uh, that won the boat with the twelve six three, he weighed that fish in on Saturday and uh, kind of had to wait it out as a lot of big fish were were being weighed throughout the tournament. But the interesting story was he was fishing with his father, who had just recently, within the last week or two, been cleared 
uh, has beaten cancer and was cleared to kind of get back out and, and get into some activities and be on the water. So it was the first time those two guys were on the water uh, in, in quite some time. And it was pretty emotional, obviously, up on stage when Scott Gordon announced that and, and told that story, and they both came up to take pictures. It was uh, it was pretty cool, and that's what it's all about. Absolutely, that's what it's all about. You know, a lot of the times we like to talk about, you know, how many we catch or the size of the catch, but quite honestly, you and I both know that, you know, it's times like that being able to share those moments with uh, kind of the ones that we're close to that really, you know, separate fishing in the sport from uh, other things that we participate in. Yeah, in, in this tournament format, you, you just, you really see a lot of it. You see uh, you know, guys out there with their wives competing uh, when a wife wouldn't normally fish. You see them with their sons and daughters and, and uh, you know, aunts and uncles. It's just, you know, it's a really cool opportunity for everybody to come out and, and enjoy the format. And we get a lot of spectators who, uh, you know, might not get to see those guys fish, uh, you know, in certain events throughout the year. And they can come out to a venue like Papa's on the Lake and, and, uh, and sit and enjoy the format. So it's, it's really cool. We, we could not have uh, scripted, obviously, a better beginning to to our season um, in Conroe, you know, the weather's been real difficult here, Aaron, in Texas and, and uh, everywhere. And uh, we were concerned with whether or not those fish were going to be moving. And it had warmed up the week before and we, uh, I guess the perfect storm rolled in and those guys really, really stuck the fish. It was, it was pretty cool. Well, certainly the weather can play havoc and I've got news for you. It's been like that pretty much everywhere. I think I've been, I, I feel like I'm chasing the frozen tundra, you know, when I'm, I'm out and about and traveling, but you know, looking back from when you and I first met and kind of when you put this together, I know you had the vision of really, you know, taking this national and the exciting thing is that's about to become a reality. Yeah, it really is. We're, uh, we're up next in May, uh, in Charlotte on Lake Norman, um, 15th and 16th of May. Uh, we have a number of, uh, other stops that we are currently negotiating that we will be announcing, uh, here shortly. Uh, just a really exciting opportunity for us. You know, uh, Oakley has just done an incredible job with their, uh, ability to deliver on an event. They're having the rolling OLAB, obviously, at these events, teaching about their HD polarized technology is, is incredible. Um, obviously, Tracker Marine and Bass Pro Shops are big partners and they've been a part of, uh, you know, the plan. And uh, we're excited. We, we really, uh, we've got some great events coming and, and hopefully, uh, your listeners and, uh, We'll have an opportunity to participate as we uh, as we take this tour around the nation here in the next coming years. Well, that's my thinking is, you know, now you've just made it really accessible for anybody because of uh, you're going to put it in their backyards. And, you know, Mark, before we get out of here, how can our listeners, you know, find out additional information um, concerning, you know, getting involved with, uh, with the tour? Uh, obviously, the easiest way is at our web address, which is oakleybigbass.com. Uh, they can get all the data at those locations, and um, and then they can call us if they uh, need clarification. And our phone number is 877-958-TOUR, and that is uh, the last four digits on that are 8687. And uh, any of the data that they can get at the website will let them know about rules, uh, registration information. We take registration online. Obviously, as we're moving uh, to Charlotte, uh, the Concord Bass Pro Shops location uh, will actually, over the next 60 days, has the grand prize boat that we're going to give away, so they can go by there and check that out, pick up an entry form, 
Uh, and you'll be able to do that as we move around from location to location, uh, go to Bass Pro Shops and, and pick up a registration form and get that information there as well. Well, all exciting stuff. And, Mark, it is always good to hear from you and certainly positive to see, that, you know, really the camaraderie that is happening as a result of your efforts. I hate to tell you this. I do have to run, but thanks so much once again for being on The Edge. Aaron, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. Well, Steve, it is hard to believe, but another episode has come and gone. As always, it has certainly been fun, and we appreciate all of our listeners keeping us tuned in. Just a reminder to keep those questions coming, and don't forget to check out the latest gear on BassEdge.com. For Steve Brigman and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, I'm Aaron Martin. So long, everybody. Bass Edge has been brought to you in part by MegaWare Keelguard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Super Start Batteries, Mother's Polishes, Waxes and Cleaners, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.